want to start this morning by just sharing a couple of stories, one from the Word of God and another one is a true story that took place at a university down in Missouri a number of years ago. First, I want to talk about a parable that Jesus told. It's actually found in Matthew 20. You don't need to turn there unless you really want to check out how much I'm going to paraphrase this thing. But I'd like you to maybe modernize the parable just a little bit without changing the significance or the meaning. But suppose you were the owner of a large vineyard and you needed a lot of laborers. And you knew there were a lot of people that needed jobs. And you might drive drive to the job center or something like that. Maybe in some locations you just drive to a certain spot in the city where you know people are lining up every day because they need work. And they need a job. So anyway, the landowner goes to that particular place. And then as you look at the scripture, you'll see with this first group of people, he basically negotiates with them. And it's really 6 o'clock in the morning, a typical day of work. We're going to work 12 hours, so we're going to work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And he meets with this first group of people, and he says, you know what? This is the standard pay for a full day's work. In the scriptures, it was a denarius. And he says, I will pay you, and they would say, yes, we will work. So he took them out to the vineyard. And then a few hours later, he drove back in. And so now it's 9 o'clock in the morning. And this time, if you read the scriptures carefully, you'll see there's no negotiating going on here. They don't agree to anything. It's as if the master or the landowner just calls them and says, Hey, come on. I know you need some work. Let's go to the vineyard. He does the same thing again three hours later at 12 o'clock noon. Same thing happens. There's a group of people still there needing work, needing provision. And he says, come on, I'll take you to the vineyard. He does it again at 3 o'clock. Same thing happens. Just calls them, and they go. Probably very, very thankful. They've probably been standing there all day long, just waiting and hoping that somebody would need their labor. And then it tells us in the story that he comes back one more time. Five o'clock in the afternoon. Only one hour left of the work day. And he says, what are you guys doing here? And they say, we've been standing here all day. Waiting for somebody to hire us so we could go to work. And he says, just come on, come with me. So they go out there and now it comes six o'clock, it's quitting time. And everybody comes back to the landowner. And it looks as if he lines them up and says, you know, I want you guys to just line up. I know I owe you all some money here. And he starts with those that he called at 5 o'clock. And he pays them a denarius, a full day's wage. He comes to those that he picked up at 3 o'clock. Same thing. Now, if I'm standing in that line down the road a little ways, I'm thinking, what the heck? We committed to work all day. We've been out in that field since just after 6 o'clock this morning. In the hot sun. Working all day. He comes to those that he took out there at noon and he gives them a denarius. This isn't fair. We did way more work than they did. Comes to those, 9 o'clock, same thing. I think most of us would probably be joining the choir of whiners when he offers us a denarius. 
This isn't fair. And the landowner says, and this is Jesus' words now as he's speaking and giving the landowner the words, he says, what's wrong with you guys? Didn't we have an agreement? I agreed with you that I would pay you a full day's wage, and you agreed with me. And then he says this, are you evil so that you despise my good, my goodness? It's as if Jesus is saying, you know, I'm going to do something unusual. I'm going to do something strange. Why? Because I want to. Because I want to. I want to be generous. I want to bless them. I want these guys to go home and go to their wives and say, you aren't going to believe what happened to me today. I worked one hour and I got paid a full day's wage. I only worked half a day and I got paid a full day's wage. The landowner, in Jesus' words, is just, I want to bless him. If I want to bless him, what is that to you? Because I'm good. Share another story. This took place. And it, it's a written up in a, in a uh, magazine called Preaching Today, a young gal by the name of Denise Manderman. And it took place in a youth ministry class down in a small college in Missouri called Hannibal LaGrange College. It was time for the final test. And she got there just a little bit late before the, almost in time for the test. She, she walked in the door and there's all the rest of the students in there cramming like crazy, but Denise just got there just before the professor. And as the professor comes in, they take a couple minutes, just a couple minutes to review. And as the professor's reviewing some of the things, you can almost hear this thing going on through the classroom like, I don't remember that. I don't remember talking about that. I haven't heard that before. And then the professor, knowing what's going on, says, this is your textbook, and you're responsible for everything in that textbook, so the test will cover everything in this textbook. Well, Denise thought, he's right. So the professor hands out the tests, and he says, keep them face down until I tell you to turn them over. So he hands out the test to everyone, and he says, okay, you can turn them over now. And when they turn over the test, Denise looks at the test and she sees her name written in red ink at the top of the page. And she looks through the test and she sees every single question has been answered. She turns the page, every single page, every single question has been answered. And at the bottom of the page, there's a note from their professor. It says, all the questions are answered. And they're all correct. I answered the questions. And you're all going to get an A on the final exam. I want you to know all that hard work and all that studying you did didn't earn you one thing in terms of your final exam grade. Because I, the creator of the test, took the test for you and gave you an A. And the point he was trying to make to that youth ministry class was this. You can talk about grace. You can teach about grace. But until you really experience it, you don't really understand grace or the goodness of God. The similarity in those two stories is grace of God, the goodness of God, the love of God being manifested because that's who he is. 
And we might say something like this when you tell that story, especially if you're in a class and you're going to take a final exam. You go, boy, are they lucky. Nothing like that ever happens to me. Can't believe they got paid a full day's wage for one hour of work. Nothing like that ever happens to me. And I would say that that's not true. I would say that something like that only better happens to every single one of us every single day. I think every single day we experience things that in the natural, if we stopped and thought about it, would seem outrageous. They would be totally unexpected. They would be lavished and they would be totally undeserved. Every single day. And I say that with total confidence because God is good. It's amazing, outrageous, miraculous that this morning we woke up and we could breathe. And we could take oxygen into our lungs and somehow it would get into the bloodstream and somehow it would be carried to every part of our body. How amazing and lavish is that? Every day. Until we can't. And at that instance, we go to heaven. Wow. Every single day, if we would take time to think about all the things that take place in our life that we have nothing to do with. Nothing. Every time your heart beats, you didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it and making it beat, did you? And it doesn't matter. What we do or what what we say or what we think, there are many, many of these blessings every day that take place in our life because God is Good. Even when we sing a song like Good, Good Father, I'm sure sometimes we sing that song and, and we're just singing words. Sometimes, depending on our circumstance, we might sing a song like that. And while we're singing the words, if we don't stop altogether, we're trying to rattle off all the things in our mind that are going on in our life that aren't that good from our perspective. He's a good, good father. He is a good God. It's his very nature. I'm just going to throw a few scriptures on the screen. And, I, and <clears throat> I've got so many scriptures today that I'm breaking every rule of preaching. You know, they say you should only have like three, pre- three scriptures in a sermon so people get it. I am more confident in all of you than that. But look at these scriptures. God's goodness. God's goodness in his character and God's goodness in his actions. And you could go through and find more scriptures everywhere. You could spend your whole day just in the book of Psalms. Taste and see that the Lord is good. For thou, O Lord, art good. You're ready to forgive. Plenteous in mercy. And to all them that call upon thee. Psalms 100. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and in truth endures to all generations. Psalm 106. Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord for he is good. 107.1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. And you could go on and on and on and on. Either he is good or the scriptures are lies. Hundreds of times there's references to the goodness of God. And do we believe it? Is he really good? You know, it's interesting, and it's a story that most of us probably are familiar with, but remember when Moses was up on the mountain? And he's talking to God. God, I want to see you. God, I want to see who you are. I want to see who I'm talking to, for goodness sakes. Isn't it fair? And God says, okay, 
Here's the deal. And I'm going to read from just Exodus 33, verse 19. God says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and we will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Man, so many times we read that story, and we, we, then we read the story about when Moses comes off the mountain, he's just glowing, his body couldn't withstand being in the presence of God. What was it that caused his whole flesh to glow? The goodness of God. The glory of God is his goodness. When God was going to reveal at least a part of himself to Moses so he wouldn't have to die, he showed him part of his goodness from behind. The goodness of God. We read in Psalms 54, verse 6, where he says, I will, fle- I will freely sacrifice unto you, God. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. I will praise your name. What about your name? It's good. His name is good. It's who he is. He can't not be a good God. And an interesting thing that we could spend some time talking about, but I'm not going to today, but I just want to throw this out. Remember when we talk about the character traits or the attributes of God, none of them exist individually without the totality of who he is. In other words, what I mean by that is God is good, but he's also just. Whenever his justice is revealed, no matter what it looks like to us, it's coming out of the goodness of God. So we need to remember that whenever we look at the attributes of God, the totality of who he is, and they all fit together, and it's not a contradiction. It's who he is. He's all of those things. We with our natural minds, for example, go ahead and pick that one thing that might be running through some of your mind this morning that you're going, it isn't that good, God. And then tell me, what the outcome of that thing your experiences is going to be. How many of you can read what's coming tomorrow? Or a week from today? Or a month from today? Or a year from today? We don't know. But I can trust that God is good. And He's always good. Always. No matter what. He's good. I'm going to touch on this verse a little bit later, but I want to mention it now. In Psalms 119, verse 68, it says this, Thou art good, God, you are good. And then it goes on and says, And you do what is good. You are good, and you do what is good. His very character, his innate nature, who he is, is good. And then he goes on and takes it even a step further for all of us and says, and what you do is good. God can't do evil. If it's evil, it's not God doing it. We need to understand that. If it's evil, it's not God doing it. But things are evil all around us, and we live in a fallen culture and in a fallen world, and everything's deteriorating all around us. Until he comes back and there's a new heaven and a new earth and we get a new body, things aren't always going to be that good. But everything he does is good from his perspective. 
not necessarily ours. For us, we, we use the term good a lot. God is good naturally because of who he is. If it's you and I that do something good, it doesn't come naturally. As close to naturally as it can get is if we are just responding to the Holy Spirit continually. But for us, good is something we have to consciously work at and be aware of. God, it just always is because that's who he is. You know, we talk about, hey, I've got a good spouse. Matter of fact, I got a great spouse. I got some pretty good kids. I got a good job. I have a really good house. I have a really good, I have a really good, I have a, fill in the blank. They are really good people. We have a good church. The reality is, the Bible says, there is not a single thing that is good except for God, the Lord. He alone is good. When we talk about God and talk about goodness, it is goodness and perfection. He is perfect good. He is pure good. No matter how good anything else is, it's got flaws and is tainted. A good spouse, great spouse. There's a few little tiny things if you look real close. Good church. There is no perfect church until God comes back with his church and it becomes his bride. Then there's a perfect church. Till then, every church is tainted and flawed because every one of us are tainted and flawed. There is nothing good, purely good, but for God. And he does what is good, as I read in Psalms 119, verse 68. And he can do good. One of my favorite verses, I've got a lot of favorite verses. I usually have a different one every week, don't I? This week it happens to be Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or all we can imagine according to his power that is in work with us. He can do more than we can even imagine. And I've got a good imagination. Sometimes it goes beyond what is good. That's the problem, at least from God's perspective. But we have a good God. We have a good God. And he can give us more. You know, isn't it great to have a spouse or to have a friend that you can say with confidence, they've got my back. No matter what, they've got my back. They're on my side no matter what. That's God. God is really the only one that will fill in the no matter what. He's always got our back. He's always on our side. He's always looking to do us good. Always. You are the object of his affection. Doesn't that seem crazy? I know me. It's hard to like me sometimes. Thank you. I only dare say that when my boys aren't in here. Uh Uh-oh, I got one here. Thank you. (laughs) But with God, He always loves me. He always wants to do good for me. He's always got my back. Always. And He's always on my side. Always. Does He approve of everything I do? Nope, He sure doesn't. But unlike us human beings, He doesn't turn on us and walk away from us when He doesn't approve. He's right there, always, for us. 
And there are so many ways that he reveals his goodness to us. And I'm going to just touch on a few. Um, Don't worry about all the scriptures. Some will be on the screen, some won't. But this first set I put on the screen because maybe it won't surprise you, but part of it surprised me a little bit. There are these natural blessings, kind of what I was referring to earlier. But look at these scriptures and notice something. The Lord is good to all. Now, wait a minute. That unbelieving, no good for nothing, God's good to him too? Yep. He's good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. Did you know every single person ever born is part of the works of God? Yeah. Personally, when I think about it, I go, are you kidding me? And then I think a little longer, and I go, oh, thank you, Lord, because I was in a lot of trouble a lot of times before I met you. I'm glad your mercies were over me then, every day. Matthew 5.45, for he causes his sun to rise and fall on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Is it fair from our perspective? We may think not. But God is good, period. Luke 6.35, for he himself is kind. Now this one bugged me a little bit. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Uh, Really? I try so hard so you'll be good to me. And they aren't trying at all and you're good to them? It's because it's who he is. And I can't earn his goodness. I can't earn it. He's good in spite of me. So his goodness is for all his creation. Psalms 145, verses 15 through 17. And Psalms 145, the whole thing, you should read it and study it from this perspective. But it says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open up your hand and satisfy satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. Everything around us is out of his goodness for us. Relationships that you have are goodness being demonstrated by God. Your job, every tree, every food, every friend, every flower, everything you can think of that is a blessing in your life, everything is from the goodness of God. All of it. And they're for everyone. And having said all of that, there is a specific kind of love for his children. There's a specific kind of goodness for his children. In Romans, a verse many of you are familiar with, in 8.28 it says, We know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who have been called according to his purposes. For his children, that's those of us that have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There is this specific kind of, of goodness for us. All things will work for good for us because he's good. And there are scriptures, and I'm just going to read these off real quickly, but his goodness is demonstrated towards those who seek him. His goodness is demonstrated to those who wait for him. His goodness is demonstrated to those who trust in him. His goodness is there and it's available. 
And there's an aspect you can see from those things that I just read, and I could give you the scriptures for all of them. There's an aspect of, re- of us receiving it. Even taste and see that the Lord is good. I have to reach out and receive that goodness. Trusting him that what he's giving to me and bringing to me is good. And be blessed by it. So there's the natural blessings that reveal his goodness. There's his interventions in our life. And I'm just going to say this. Read Psalm 107. I'm just going to read the first two verses. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. We've all been delivered and redeemed. If you go through the rest of that chapter, you'll see some things that you can maybe relate to. In verses 3 through 9, we see this story of the, the, the declaration that God rescues those who are frantically searching for someone or something that will satisfy their very soul. They're hungry and thirsty for something, but they don't even know what it is. And God says, out of His goodness, He will woo them by His Holy Spirit. And He will meet the need of that hungry, thirsty soul. When they cry out to him, he's there. Verses 10 through 15, we see God intervening in the lives of those who have flat out rebelled against the word of God. And they're suffering for it. It goes on and says, when they repent, he will deliver them from their distress. He will break the chains that bind them and he will set them free and give them life. Verses 16 through 22, God intervenes on behalf of his own goodness in the lives of of those who are foolish and who have given themselves to sin and see the consequences touching their lives and their relationships. He will intervene in situations like that. And all we have to do is taste and see that the Lord is good. And verses 23 through 31, God rescues those whose lives are being pounded by the storms of life. Anybody in here feeling like their life is being pounded by a storm? It says He will rescue those. Even though everybody feels like it's, we're sinking, He promises to bring us, and this is the painful part, to the end of ourselves. And when we cry out to Him, He will bring us out of that distress He will cause the storms to calm. And for his children, he he promises that he will work it for good in our lives. We need to trust him. He intervenes in our life, demonstrating his goodness. Third one, and there is no greater demonstration of his goodness than this. Jesus. He demonstrates his goodness through Christ and through what Christ did. It's the greatest manifestation of his goodness that we'll ever see. Jesus took the judgment on our sins that we deserved. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' death on that cross is the greatest picture of God's goodness, of unmerited, undeserved goodness we could ever imagine. And he did it because it's who he is. He's good. He did it for us when we didn't deserve it. His goodness is what he desires. And this is, we need to think about this phrase a little bit. God's goodness desires to do for us 
things that we don't even know we need. You know, before I was saved, I didn't think I needed saving. I thought I was just fine. There are lots of things in my life that when they arrived, I didn't even know I need them, needed them. And some of them, I, when they arrived, I didn't like them at all. But after they arrived and we are humbled and come to the end of ourselves, I agree with my wife. Thank you, Lord. He needed that. And it happens over and over. When we get to the end of ourselves, God does these things for us. All things. I'm going to read this verse you're familiar with. In 832 of Romans it says, who did, He who did not spare his own son delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Freely give us all things. Freely give us all things. Psalms 103, it talks about, do not forget all the benefits of your salvation. If Jesus, if God, out of his goodness, sent Jesus to die on a cross for us, the greatest gift of his goodness we could possibly imagine, something that we had never have done for ourselves, we can't trust him for the other stuff. He will give us all things. He knows what's good. He loves us. Just think, if we always knew what was absolutely good for our kids, is there anything we would deprive our kids of? Because we love them. And we can't even love close to the way Jesus loves, the way God loves. And he always knows what's good for us. And then very quickly, I'm going to go through a few responses or way that we, we should respond to God's goodness. First of all, I've read the scriptures a couple times as we see it repeated over and over. We should respond and experience the joy of his goodness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste it, see it, that he's good. And respond to his goodness with joy. God's goodness should lead to thankfulness. Psalms 107.1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love, his goodness, his mercy endures forever. Thankful. Try to give him thanks for those things that we take for granted every day. Every day. You can see where, where the writer says, give thanks in all things. Man, there's no way we could get done if we really recognized all the things that are coming to us out of the goodness of God. We should wake up thankful, we should go to bed thankful, and we should dream thankful because of his goodness. We should rest, number three, in his goodness when adversity comes. We live in a bad world. Surprise. We live in a bad world where bad things happen to good people. But we also live in a bad world where good things happen to bad people. It's the kind of world we live in. Sometimes, as I said earlier, the circumstances we're going through argue with God's goodness. We need to remember that God is there for us. In Psalms 31, verses 19 through 24, I'm only going to read the first part of it, but he says, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for us. It's like he's got a warehouse of good things for us 
when adversity comes, when the storms of life come, we need to remember his goodness. And it goes on and says in there that he will keep you safe. The psalmist wrote, I feel like I'm cut off from your sight. And he says, yet you heard me. Why? Because you're good. In adversity. Number four, we should react by stepping out in faith. The more we see the goodness of God, the more we recognize the goodness of God, the more faith it should give us to step out in faith, knowing that he's a good God. When we start to recognize that, it gives you this freedom to step out. We share Jeremiah 29, 11 a lot for a lot of different reasons, but here it fits too. For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to make you miserable, uncomfortable, horrible. No, we know that's not what that verse says. We know that he's good and he has plans for us, plans to prosper us, plans to bless us, plans to give us this good life. He has plans for us. We can step out in faith as we understand the goodness of God. And last but certainly not least, on my list anyway, Romans 2.4 says this, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The goodness of God, when we begin to understand it, when we begin to understand that it's his very nature, it's who he is, that he has good things for all of us, it should draw us and bring us to that place of repentance before him drawing us to this God who loves us more than anything, has a plan for our lives, and all we need to do is surrender to him and accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And we go beyond this natural goodness of his. We go to that specific goodness that he has for his children. Ultimately, God's goodness is best seen in his plan for redemption, redeeming us from sin. What do we call the gospel? It's the gospel of good news. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news about the good news about the goodness of God. That he died. He sent his son who died on a cross for you and me to pay a price we could never pay, something we could never earn, we could never be good enough, but out of his goodness he did all that and then he raised him from the dead to affirm that the sacrifice was sufficient and he raised him from the dead as confirmation that we too one day will be raised. That's his goodness, the news of the gospel. And if you've never received the good news of the gospel, he wants you to do it today to accept the gift of salvation. Confess that we're sinners and need a Savior because he loves you so much. There is really only one who is truly, fully good, and that's God. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray this morning that the words from your word about your character, about your goodness, would penetrate our hearts penetrate the hardest of hearts in this place that we would know and understand who you are. God, that we can be sure and certain in you no matter what we're going through. That you're there with us. You're going before us. You know the outcome. And you promise for your children that you will work all things for our good.
Lord, I praise you and thank you for the goodness of your grace that gives us the ability to trust in you and to walk through those things. I pray this morning, God, for you to be glorified in every one of our lives as we, we open our hearts and we taste and see that you are good. And that that goodness, your unmerited love, would flow through us to those around us. That might, we might share the good news of the gospel that others would become your children. I pray even as we go our separate ways today that your Holy Spirit would quicken in us those opportunities you put before us to share the good news. That you would give us the words to share your attitude, your heart for the lost. That we would be truly your hands and feet in advancing the kingdom, your kingdom here on earth as we await the fullness of your kingdom when Jesus comes back. So Lord, I pray you would watch over us, protect us, keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen.